The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. Degenerate Nation, welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet. This is your week nine college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me as always is Colin Wilson, focused, ready to roll on this weekend's card with no Arkansas distraction. No Arkansas on a bye week this week. Woo, pig suey. But we get one last weekend before we get a college football playoff ranking and before we get Maction back in our lives. How beautiful is Maction? How beautiful is Maction? I've got a bunch of shells out there, riding shells that are just waiting for me for Maction, like Eastern Michigan, some Toledo. I'm actually really excited. Like, I'm excited for week nine. But after this, like, it's just a but November is just a complete bonanza. Starting tonight, 27 straight days with at least one football game on. I'll have my midseason Mac report and college basketball Mac betting preview early next week, too exciting times as betters heading into november all right before we kick things off we got a loaded card this weekend we'll start with look ahead or look away as always you do have a quick programming announcement if you guys are familiar with our college podcast coverage here at the action network you know that after bowl season we typically transition from college football to college basketball here every january we'll do that again on the big bets on campus but this season we're also getting a head start because starting next week our friends at three man weave Kai McEwen, Jim Root, Matt Cox will be hosting a college basketball betting episode every Wednesday morning here on the BBOC podcast. One of the benefits of having our own feed. These guys are longtime friends of the show. They know college hoops really well. And so we're excited they'll be leading our BBOC college basketball coverage here until we start transitioning over to basketball in December. We'll still have our weekly college football episodes, but now we'll just give you guys an extra college hoops episode as a bonus. So be on the lookout for those episodes every Wednesday morning starting next week. Keep an eye on the app and... Uh, actionnetwork.com i'll have obviously all my college basketball plays and content as well and then uh, yeah obviously as always we'll be transitioning to the podcast closer to january to do college basketball but just zero time right now so i'm glad to have those guys on board to give the college basketball diehard some podcast content in the interim all right let's uh get things started with we'll do this really quick look ahead look away say it's not a really good week for situational spots in regards to looking ahead to next week. 
hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? We have three spots here that I've circled. And for those unfamiliar, we look at next week's slate and we determine, okay, is a team maybe going to get caught looking ahead or they maybe not want to show much, but they pull their starters a little sooner. Three spots here. Colorado has just been woeful, especially on offense. I mean, Lewis has been dreadful. The offensive line has been the worst part of that team. They can't get any running game going at all. And as a result, their passing game has just can't pick up the slack. Teams are just loading the box. They are coming off a bad loss at, at Cal, where they only had about 100 total yards. They go to Oregon at Winbet. Oregon is a 23-and-a-half-point favorite over under 49. Oregon does have Washington on deck, important game in the Pac-12 North Division. I'm not sure how much Oregon is looking ahead here, but uh, they could get caught. It's look pretty sandwichy. You get that sandwich vocal spot after that emotional win over UCLA with Washington on deck. We sure have a lot of sandwiches, 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 sandwiches. I just don't know if Colorado's offensive line can hang in there here. Can they get enough stops? I mean, their defense is fairly solid. Their offense just puts them in such bad spots. Bad news is, though, that Nate Landman, who's playing at an All-American level at linebacker, will be out for this game. Uh, The defensive line is pretty good. They have a couple good corners. Can Colorado stay within this number? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question because not only is there this whole, we just finished off UCLA, we got Washington on deck, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel for the Pac-12 championship, and maybe we're going to be ranked pretty high in the college football playoff rankings next week. So there's a lot of things that Oregon is not looking at. Uh, they're not looking at Colorado. And, you know, you mentioned Nate Landman not being there. Um, you know, the, the spread is inflated, and I think that's one thing about it. it it's going to be interesting to see if Oregon uses this as a game to get Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield some reps out there in the second half if they were happen to get some sort of lead. Uh, but, you know, there's another – there's a trend. We're not a trend podcast. We don't like trends, but – Mario Cristobal at home in Austin with a double-digit spread has not been good. I think he's covered like once in the last couple of years. I'm not saying to back Colorado. I think more of an Oregon first half when, you know, I think there should be a low-scoring total in the first half. But at the same time, I think taking Oregon in the first half might be a good look here without Colorado and their star uh, linebacker. Colorado faced a heavy rush against Minnesota earlier this season. I think that's really where the handicap is because we know Oregon's going to run the ball and what they want to do with Anthony Brown. They allowed 5.4 yards per attempt and eight runs of 12 yards or more. So Minnesota was just absolutely explosive on the ground. And that's when Colorado had their linebacker. So now they don't have them. I think an Oregon first half bet may be there, but uh, who knows what they do in the second half if they get any kind of lead with their two freshman quarterback they might want to have ready. Yeah, I think there is slight value in Colorado here. I I thought about them, especially if I can get over 24 but they're just watching that offense, there's not much to like. Chenault will come back from suspension this week, so maybe that helps. But the quarterback play has just been so poor. And maybe Oregon wants to run it up. Maybe they're thinking on the flip side, like for college football playoff ranking, maybe they need margin and they still have hope. So uh, let's move on to a, another game here. UMass, your <laughs> UMass boys let you down last week. Uh, they travel to Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Liberty has uh, the Hugh Freeze Bowl on deck against Ole Miss. Liberty's laying 36 here, over under 58. Do you have the stomach to back the Minutemen again? I haven't put a bet in on the app yet. I mean, I was quick to get in there. Oh, man, that sounds ominous. That sounds ominous. I know. I was quick to get that Florida State. You know, it's crazy. UMass is a 35-point underdogs to Florida State. Now they're 36-point underdogs to Liberty. 
checking my power rankings, there's really not a big difference between Liberty and FSU. You know, both these teams are outside the top 100 in tempo and the market kind of sits around 57 and a half. So for Liberty to cover the spread, they've got to go perfect in almost all their drives. Um, you know, Tyler Lytle was a starting quarterback coming into the season for UMass. He might return here. He was participating in warmups against FSU, but he didn't play. Wall Bell's comments is what is what has kept a UMass bet coming through the pipe. He said, we spent an ungodly amount of time preparing for the counter play from Florida State. They ran 50 of their 60 rushing attempts. They ran counter. We got blocked. We didn't tackle. We couldn't stop anything. Now, when the head coach comes out and says, we spent all of our time on the counter and they ran at 50 of 60, like he, they game planned the hell out of it. Like, Wall Bell did a good job to do the prep. They just didn't execute. So I'm not really sure how I can go around and bet on UMass. Maybe they show up a second week in a row. But I, you have to ask, how did ULM beat Liberty? Right. I mean, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, that kind of just slipped through the box scores and nobody really talked about it. 47% in passing downs. ULM had seven passes over 15 yards. They had three interceptions against Malik Willis. I like that really went quiet. Nobody really talked about that. Last week, North Texas easily covered 21 by dominating passing downs on defense and eight tackles for loss combined on 50 yards. Even ULM had six tackles for loss for 34 yards. You know, the offensive line is not what it used to be last year for Liberty. They're averaging 50 yards less in running. They've already allowed as many sacks as they did last year. Some serious offensive line problems there going on for the Flames. I should be playing UMass. This is not Florida State's offensive line, but, uh, you know, I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Looks like ULM's found their quarterback of the future, this kid Chandler Rogers, freshman, uh, who helped pull off that upset and then went nuts last week against South Alabama. Last look at her look away game, UTEP. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. The surprise Minor Nation, the covering machine known as Minor Nation. At FAU, FAU's 11.5 point favorite, over under 48. I don't know if UTEP's really looking ahead to the Super Bowl, the game of the year next week against UTSA, but we had to get some UTEP and meet meet talk in. Meet meet. Down on the moon in El Paso. Uh, Anything here in UTEP at FAU? UTEP's defense has been surprisingly good. Yeah, the one thing that keeps getting talked about when you dive into any UTEP uh, information on this game is that Minor Nation is 0-25-1 all-time playing in the Eastern time zone. They've never won a game in the Eastern time zone. Why don't they get wow. an FCS school like on the schedule from the Eastern time zone? But, I mean, this can be a defensive grudge match. Both defenses, top 10 and finishing drives. UTEP tempo is 123rd. I mean, one aspect of the UTEP offense is that they're top 30 in passing success rate and, until they decide to pass. They're second in pass EPA, but FAU is eighth in coverage. So when UTEP does decide to step back and throw, the Owls have been really good at stopping that. So FAU's offense is top 30 in success rate, but they're 94th in havoc allowed. And I think that's really where the handicap comes in. 94th in havoc allowed. They're very sloppy with the ball. They let defenders get into the backfield. And UTEP's defense is third in havoc. So I love the under in this game, especially with FAU pass blocking is outside the top 100 and UTEP is 114th in offensive finishing drives. There's just a lot of problems here for FAU and the pressure they're going to see from UTEP. UTEP has a lot of problems when they get into scoring positions. So I think the under is the best play. Although 48 is a key number. I see the market at 47 and a half. I would, I would try to look for that 48. Quick look at or look away this week. Let's move on to the marquee matchups of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week nine. All right, we got some good ones here. Let's start with 
a matchup of undefeated Big Ten teams from the state of Michigan meeting for the first time as top 10 teams since the 60s. Talking about Michigan and Bodog Jim heading to Michigan State. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Michigan State, four and a half point home underdog over under 50 and a half at WinBet. When I look at both these teams, I still don't really have a great feel for either one of them. They really haven't played a murderer's row uh, of opponents. They both played Nebraska and both probably should have lost, but won. I think this really comes down to when you look at this handicap, it's okay. Michigan State obviously has really relied on Kenneth Walker, star running back, made a name for himself this year and, you know, getting pros attention, Heisman talk. And then Michigan with Haskins and Corum is pretty much all run all the time. Which defense is better equipped to slow down the others rushing attack? Because I think that ultimately will decide this game. Michigan play, they're just playing very conservative, letting their defense and special teams, which have been excellent, kind of carry the weight. They're not making mistakes. What say you here in a top 10 matchup of Michigan Big Ten teams? Yeah, the under was the first thing I hit. One of the first plays of the week when the numbers came out, but that was 52 and a half. We're down to 51. So, you know, we're that that's a key number. One of the biggest key numbers of college football. So this is a game that I've kind of battled with, um, you know, exactly on the side who you should take because you look at the resumes of who they've played and it's like, well, it's not really that impressive of a slate of games that they have played, but they do have three common opponents. And I think if you take a deep dive into those three common opponents in the box scores, you can find an answer about who's going to win this game. So I think you're right. The question is, is how did each team get here undefeated? Is it applicable to the handicap Michigan run base? They're not asking Cade McNamara to do too much. You know, it's been Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum just put up unbelievable numbers from the FBS as far as PFF grading goes on running backs in the FBS, Michigan State 66th in defensive rushing success rate, 91st in stuff rate. So I can see if you like Michigan, why you would play that angle. The Wolverines are going to be able to run their slow tempo. But when you look over at Mel Tucker, who's been the transfer portal whisper, uh, he lands Kenneth Walker uh, to do the rushing attack. And the differences between these two offenses, which I'm about to spell out, Michigan State has an explosive element that Michigan does not have whatsoever. Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, outstanding numbers on deep balls. Peyton Thorne, three times as many big-time throws as turnover-worthy plays. Finishing drives on offense is a big issue with both squads. That's why I took the under at the beginning of the week. Both of these teams' defenses have massive superior numbers to the offenses when it comes to scoring position. But let's get back to the handicap where I think it's really important. These teams have played Rutgers, Nebraska, and Northwestern. Rutgers, big offensive success rate and standard downs against Michigan, 17% higher than national average Rutgers did. Michigan State nearly doubled Rutgers in overall yards per play and what was an explosive play bonanza. So Michigan State gets the nod there. Now, Nebraska, both teams with a three-point win, both teams with a similar defensive success rate. The difference was Michigan State allowed just one explosive drive against Nebraska, Michigan allowed three explosive drives against Nebraska. So another check mark for Michigan State. Last one, Northwestern. 
The Spartans nearly doubled the Wildcats in overall yards per play. They didn't allow a single explosive drive. The Michigan defense did. Three common opponents, three green check marks for Michigan State. I do think this is a defensive battle. We're looking at 40% rain, 15-mile-an-hour winds. Michigan State has the more explosive offense. They have the far better box scores against the three common opponents. I've already taken the under. If you're going to take it, I would suggest getting 51. If you're going to do the first half, I'd suggest 24 and a half. But listen, I can see that the market is all over Michigan State. I can see all the tickets, all the money on Michigan State. I agree with them because in the three common opponents, they won all three box scores in comparison to Michigan. Michigan's run defense also hasn't been great. Yeah. You know, they have some good players on defense, but they haven't been elite. I mean, that Rutgers game, when they went read option, they really gave Michigan trouble in the second half. But I'm curious to see if Michigan, the wild card here could be, do they, how, how often and how and in what fashion do they use J.J. McCarthy? Does he come in as a wild card in this game and attempt some downfield throws, have some trickeration? Do they... Do they run it? So I'm curious to see if they use him. But, yeah, I agree on the under here. I think the under is the play. I like the first half under even better because if this game gets out of hand one way or the other, I don't really want – you know, Michigan State throwing from behind can have a little more success, but I don't really want Michigan having to throw – play from behind and throw. We haven't seen them do that. And it could end in some turnovers and some short fields and – they kind of get out of who they are if they're, you know, say down 10 to 14. So I like the game script in the first half of the under. Big 10 unders. All right, let's move on to, let's just stick in, let's just get this Big 10 over (laughs) with. Let's look at Iowa at Wisconsin. We said last, I said a couple weeks ago on Twitter, people went nuts on me that Wisconsin might be favored over the number two team in the country. It looks like that would have been the case. (laughs) And Wisconsin's a three and a half point favorite over Iowa. This is no longer an Iowa podcast, by the way. Over under 36 and a half at win bet. Now everyone was laughing at my Wisconsin to win the division bet. How's that looking now, baby? Win this game and they're in pretty good shape. I think Wisconsin wins this game. Can I lay three and a half? No, I can't. I'm going to have to find a way to play money line, throw them in a money line parlay and a round robin. I mean, three and a half points in this game is like 20. At three and a, it should be it should be Wisconsin minus three and a half money line minus five hundred like that's how much three and a half is. Look, I was banged up at the corner spot. Who cares? Wisconsin can't throw it. Doesn't matter. Wisconsin can't throw it on anybody. Look, look what Army did. Look, do you see what Army did against Wake Forest the week before against Wisconsin? Wisconsin couldn't complete a forward pass against them. So we know that Mertz. I mean, you look at any of his advanced metrics. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the country. He misses wide open throws all the time. Even against the banged-up Iowa secondary, they're not going to throw. But Wisconsin has found a running game, and I think that is what's going to be the difference here. This kid, Braylon Allen for Wisconsin, um, I mean, Malusi's ran ran well last game, but Braylon Allen, I mean, the freshman, I don't know what they were waiting for with this kid, but he had against Purdue 12 carries, 140 yards. There's a, big, there's a big difference. Malusi likes to likes to find defenders to run them over, but but Braylon Allen will like he's actually got some scat in him. He's actually got some mistakes. Yeah, it's a good one too. It's a good yeah. one two combo. Against Army had 16 carries for 108 yards. Army's really good against the run. Illinois 18 carries for 131 yards. This kid is eating. So I think ultimately that'll be the difference. So I'm gonna find a way to play with Scott's here, but I also played under 37. The only way I see this game going over, and this could happen is with defensive or special teams touchdowns. Yep. Certainly in the mix. I mean, you could have pick sixes. I think that Iowa's secondary being out, like, you know, Riley Moss not playing, 
actually helps the under because there, Wisconsin can't throw and there's just less risk of a pick six with Moss not in there. It's crazy as that sounds. But when, you know, these two offenses are really poor and these two defenses are really good, these two teams are very conservative. They play very slow. They're going to rely on their defenses. You might see punts in this game from the 35. Like, that's how conservative I expect these two teams to play. You might even see a team kneel it to punt it. You might think that's crazy, but I would do that against Penn State. <laughs> Take knees to punt. I always joke about that on Twitter. You could see that in this game. So this has all the makings. If there's no turnovers, and I think both teams are going to try to be very conservative, and you can't run on Wisconsin if there's no no fluky turnovers. And turnovers can help the under, too. Say there's turnovers in the red zone. or This game could honestly end 6-3. I like the under. I think Wisconsin wins. This might be on a TV box right next to uh, Cincinnati Tulane, which could have like 100 points scored in it. So uh, it's going to be a, a drag of a watch. But no, I completely agree with your with your handicap. Uh, it's impossible to find a single offensive advantage with either of these teams. Both offenses outside the top 100 in finishing drives. Both offenses outside the top 100 in tempo. Iowa is second to last in offensive big play percentage. Wisconsin is dead last in passing EPA. It's gross. I projected my total at 35 and a half. And I think people will say, well, Colin, where do you get your totals from? Mine are a very large calculation of yards per play differential. I add in finishing drives. There's a lot of things that happen in the red zone that I kind of integrate into the numbers. It came out to 35 and a half. I was like, that is extremely low because I'm at 34. <laughs> it's what you're scared of is a defensive TD. Like, like Stucky said with Riley Moss being out, that was really kind of a, a breaker for Iowa. Cause not only have they been living on a steady diet of turnovers and touchdowns, uh, you know, with, with Riley Moss out, Purdue was able to go crazy. David Bell was able to just destroy Iowa. And, you know, that Wisconsin held Bell down to just 33 yards and 10 targets. Well, Wisconsin has a legitimate secondary. Uh, we mentioned Caesar uh, Williams. Uh, you know, now the Badgers have to focus on just defending one guy, tight end Sam Laporta. That's it in the run. That's it in the pass game. So I, I can't see how Iowa gets many points up on the board whatsoever. Wisconsin's going to have success on the ground. We, we mentioned Ches Malushi, Braylon Allen, Iowa's 73rd in defensive stuff rate. They're not getting behind the line of scrimmage. We talked about this in the summer. Like they have a defensive line. I don't think anybody weighs over 290 pounds. That is not a good look against the Wisconsin's offensive line. And when you look at Wisconsin, if they have an advantage on you, and here's the thing that I laugh about, when they have an advantage on you and they find out what it is, they're just going to keep doing it. They attempted only three passes in the second half against Purdue. Uh, the ground game had success, and Paul Chris said, forget it. You're not throwing ever again, Graham Mertz. We are going to hand the ball off, and we don't care if they know it. And I think that's what's going to happen here. So when you and Stuck is like kidding about punting from the 35, I'm not, he's not, and I'm not kidding about Wisconsin. They might run every single, there might not be like more than eight passing attempts. It could be like an army type approach. Well, army before last week. So, you know, Iowa's had wins over Penn State, Maryland, Iowa State, Indiana because of turnovers. That's dried up. Just one from Purdue. So Iowa's finally come back down to earth. I'll take Wisconsin. I don't want the hook. I agree with you. You can guarantee you and I are going to be fighting to see who leads it off in the money line round robin. I prefer to buy the hook back to three. As for the total, what Stuck said about, you know, he, under 37. 37 is the last buy point. There is, I'm looking at the board. There is a 37 out there. There's also a short book that's also got this down to 36. 37 is the last buy point. It, it, it's a key number, 2017, right? So it, after that, I wouldn't pay attention to that whatsoever. So I like Wisconsin. I like the under 37. This thing wants to get down to 35. 
I I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll start looking at the over just for shits and grins. Don't but. do that. <laughs> even 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 this is gonna be like Wisconsin Army, I think. Even yeah. Wisconsin Army had a defensive touchdown. There was a yeah. one yard touchdown drive because of a strip sack, and it had a garbage time touchdown in the final seconds. Right, and it still went under. All right, let's move on to a game that should have some scoring. I mean, I love watching a good under, but most people <laughs> will be a little more excited for Georgia. And Florida, world's uh, largest outdoor world's largest cocktail. outdoor cocktail party. But you can't whatever. say that anymore. Even that's been canceled. You can't even talk about drinking out loud anymore. The world's largest cocktail party. We'll still call it that here. Uh, both teams coming off a bye. I think they usually do for this game. Georgia, number one team in the country, fourteen and a half point favorites over under fifty one at WinBet. So when I look at this game, I took some Florida plus fourteen and a half. It's funny. I think I've had Georgia. Georgia's the best team in the country. I didn't get to the playoffs, win the national title, but I find myself fading them all the time. And that's not abnormal for me against the number one team in the country, I think is just normally overinflated in the market. You're paying a tax for them. But there's a few advantages here that I like for Florida and a few things that worry me about Florida. Ultimately, I wouldn't play this at under 14. Once I got over 14, there was enough here, especially when you add in the backdoor possibility that I took Florida. So when you look at this Georgia defense, it is elite by any stretch. I mean, you look at success rates, like 30%, their EPA per play, historically good. But there's probably some regression coming here. They're giving up like 1.2 points per opportunity. That's like the most unsustainable stat I've ever seen in my life. And they haven't really played a murderer's row of offenses. Have they played one capable downfield passing attack yet? No. Right. So they've just played running teams primarily and then bad teams, which they can stop. Georgia is not a very complex defense. It is like we're going to line up and we're going to be very disciplined and we have very good players across the board and you're not going to be able to do anything. And especially in the run game. And, you know, they have Jordan Davis in the middle, just clogs everything up. They, they are so – their linebackers are so fast. They get to everything on the outside. It's an elite defense, but they haven't seen an offense like this. And what can give them trouble? Quarterback runs, things that are off script, bunch formations, misdirection, trick plays, all the things that Dan Mullen, think whatever you want to think about him. That man could come up with a good offensive script. Just look at last year when he absolutely roasted this Georgia defense by he understands all the pattern matching that Kirby Smart does as well as anyone in the country. He went out there and they roasted Georgia's defense from, I think they were like 14 point. They were down 14, nothing in that game, maybe 21, nothing. And didn't have Kyle Pitts, by the way, I had Florida in that game. He got concussion in the first, first drive. And I think you're going to get Anthony Richardson for majority of this game. I think the secret has been let out. One of their players said it like he's our quarterback. I think you'll see Emory Jones for a drive or two, but that's harder to prepare for he's you need to throw that down you can't just run downhill you can't just hand it off against this georgia team you need to have designed quarterback runs i bet you're going to see some option here you're going to see some misdirection some reverses some trick plays you're going to see bunch formations trips everything you're going to the entire this is florida season now it's a super bowl they have three losses now so i think mullen will be able to get this offense to 17 to 20 points which is and, a, and I wouldn't be surprised they got a 24-27. Now, I think Georgia's going to have success scoring as well. 
Florida's defense, look, they had an awful game against LSU. I don't know how you let LSU run all over them, just running counters all day. But every other game this season, Florida's held their opponent under their season average in yards per carry, under their points, under their yards. So I think you get a better effort here. But Georgia's offense will have success. Will you see JT Daniels? Will we not? I think we're going to see both. Maybe that hurts Georgia if JT Daniels is a little rusty. I think Florida will have enough success here to cover this number. They can get to 17-20. And, hey, look, if Georgia's up 21 late, good chance Florida can get in the back door here. The Richardson factor, Dan Mullen's game plan, the fact that Georgia really hasn't seen a passing attack. And, look, Richardson, the one thing I like about Richardson, not only his legs, he's just an, he's electric. He's going to attack downfield, which is what you just you need to test this Georgia secondary. I mean, you need to hit explosive plays. You're not going to sustain drives four to five yards down the field all at once. Richardson, 36% of his passes have gone over 20 yards downfield. That leads the nation. Emory Jones, 11. Dead last in the SEC. Give me Mullen. Give me Florida in their Super Bowl here. Weird things happen in this game. Wouldn't shock me if Florida, who, by the way, was a two-touchdown underdog to Alabama, and everyone thought Alabama was the best team in the country at home, and Florida outplayed them and should have won that game. Give me the Gators. Chomp, chomp. The one thing that I did know about that Florida-Alabama game is that Florida was going to be able to apply a lot of pass rush pressure. You talk about Florida's going to do on offense. You're right. You're going to see a lot of bunch formation. You're going to see a lot of reverse, a lot of pre-snap motion. Move the pocket. You do not want to go straight at Jordan Davis there lined up at the nose tackle. Uh, the guy is literally the size of a house. That's a tough handicap when you look at Georgia's numbers on defense. What is Florida going to do against a team that is tops in the nation in tackling, coverage, finishing drives? And you're right. There's nothing complex about it. They just line up and they go after you. Georgia's now number one in strength of record, game control, average win probability rank. And really it kind of goes back to the teams that they've played. They haven't really played anybody that's been able to throw downfield. They've allowed two explosive drives in 83 opponent attempts. That's a crazy number. None of those teams have a vertical passing game like Florida does. The most vertical offense Georgia has played is Auburn and Bo Nix. That's it. There's nobody else on the schedule. Bo Nix season in full effect. And if you consider that a vertical passing game is dangerous, then, you know, I got <laughs> things to sell you. But Auburn generated a success rate above national average on passing downs. They had six passes over 20 yards. That makes me think that Anthony Richardson, even though he has moments of inaccuracy downfield, he's going to be able to burn a little bit of the secondary here, a young secondary that really hasn't been tested. I expect Dan Mullen two weeks. He'll have all kinds of packages. And, and the thing we talk about Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, it's not a different offense. They actually run the exact same offense. It's just one's a little bit more explosive and one guy is a lot bigger. You're going to see move the pocket screens, play action, anything to get around Jordan Davis and the rest of the front seven on the other side of the ball. I mean, Todd Grantham could get fired after this game. Uh, the Gators are allowing five yards per play in standard downs. They have zero work behind the line of scrimmage. That's the thing that I'm shocked about. Florida's 87th in tackles for loss. Uh, they, they, they grade, they have a tackling grade of 93rd. So Georgia's going to be able to run and create explosive, get, explosive plays on the ground all day. That's the thing. It's like Florida's really good at a pass rush. They're good when they know that their opponent is going to throw, but they're not very good at defending the rush or getting out of standard downs. So does it really matter if it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels? I think a lot of people question that, but we were doing the live. I don't think so now. I don't think so now. I don't think so either. I mean, we, we were, I was going to say, we were doing the live show right before Georgia played Arkansas and JT Daniels was announced out and the spread moved to point and a half. That's it. That's how much the market respects JT Daniels over Stetson Bennett. You go and look at Stetson Bennett's throws over 20 yards. 
He has six big time throws and zero turnover worthy plays. So I get it that maybe JT Daniels gives you an advantage 50 yards down the field, but Sesson Bennett's doing just fine running this offense. So, you know, maybe JT Daniels gets in against the Florida game. Uh, you know, maybe they come bring in Stetson Bennett, but the Gators are a ferocious defense in passing downs from a havoc and pass rush. Uh, and Georgia's number one in the nation in yards to go on third down. That's really important. That's what keeps them in standard downs is that they're averaging like 5.1 yards on third down. The game, I think the easiest play I made of the week was the over, because I completely agree with you. Uh, Florida's going to have an offensive game plan, and they're going to be able to go vertical down the field, which Georgia's not seen all year. And when Auburn tried to do it, they were successful. Uh, Bo Nix had six passes over 20 yards. I mean, if Bo Nix can do it, Anthony Richardson can do it. Emory Jones maybe can do it. He's got a problem with turnover-worthy plays. But I don't have, see any value on the spread because I make it closer to 14. If I had to pick, I would take Florida. I would, you know, 14 and a half, maybe I'll bite. But I, I think the over is the only way to go here. I, I think both teams easily get points up on the board. And finally, our last marquee game of the day, the one you've been itching for, <laughs> Fresno State at San Diego State, undefeated San Diego State. Pretty fluky undefeated San Diego State. Stop. One and a half point. Yeah, I love their partner. Best, he's their best player on their team. Best offensive player, best defensive player, kicks field goals. One and a half point favorite at home, over under 45. The question is, can Jake Hayner and this Fresno State offense for the first time really get to the San Diego State defense, which really hasn't seen a good quarterback and good passing offense? Yeah. We know you can't run on San Diego State. You never can run on San Diego State. You're not going to, to run on San Diego State this year again. But the secondary hasn't been tested. So the question is, can Hayner and them get to this secondary? And on the flip side, can, you know, San Diego State can't throw the ball. Can Fresno State's run defense contain San Diego State and Bell? Because that's really the only way San Diego State can move the ball. Go ahead, sell us on your over. (laughs) Well, I mean, we just talked about how Georgia has not seen a vertical passing game. Has San Diego State seen one? I mean, when you look at this this list of teams that... Who's that, the best quarterback they face? I don't even know. Well, That's I mean, bad. I'm looking at the list. Like Air Force, New Mexico, Towson. Nash. Yeah, Arizona, New Mexico State. The Utah game is when Charlie Brewer got benched. Then Cam Rising came in and threw three TDs. And then yeah. the San Jose State game was Nick Nash trying to play a quarterback, but he's a wide receiver. So, you know, I, I mean, who's... And he made some plays downfield. He made some plays downfield, Nick Nash. Right, but what are they going to do when Jake... They don't have any receivers. Right. Yeah, yeah, they don't have any receivers either. So, I mean, it's a game I project project as a pick. Total of 46. It's pretty much in line with the market. Uh, the 